This is the Realm of Agape Christian Church. We're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 6 in verse 9. We see a wisdom key for this hour that we are in. We're thankful to God for health, life, and strength. And we know that there are so many troubles all around the world. But let's look into the subculture of the church and um, the people of God that meet in his name. We have a commission from the Lord. We have directives from the Lord. And if the house of God uh, can prevail in being in the holy protocol and structure of what God defines as holiness, if we could walk there in, we can be the light that is needed so desperately in the dark times that we live in. And we can be uh, heaven's savory aroma and taste. People can taste and see that the Lord is yet good. Mm -hmm. So we thank God for this scripture. Matthew 6, 9, it says, After this matter, uh, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We look at this verse of scripture from the premise of our spiritual maturity series. It's a preaching and teaching series, and God is moving by his spirit in the curriculum that he would like us uh, to be stationed in to learn what thus saith the Lord for our lives in these last and evil days. We know that Jesus' return is imminent. And we want to be ready for such an hour as we would think not the Son of Man cometh. And the Spirit of God is now leading us to experience revelation knowledge, uh, unlocking how precious it is to live by this tent of the disciples' prayer. I know many call this prayer the Lord's Prayer, but the Lord actually taught his disciples this prayer as an outline of divine communication, meditation, and worship. The outline has seven parts. Let's examine the first part as the Holy Spirit teaches us the benefits uh, that we can experience as we keep God's name hallowed. Amen. So let's talk from that. Keep God's name hallowed. The two strong arms of our Lord can help to keep us from falling as revealed in this section of the disciples' prayer are consecration and deliverance. This prophetic message will deal with those two entities, consecration and deliverance. Mm -hmm. True worship enables true consecration. There are some using the word consecration, but according to the definition of God, there is some faultiness prevailing in the way we practice what we are supposed to be living. There's a divide. There's a seeming um, compromising uh, effect happening in our day. For the phrase, hallowed be thy name, needs to become 
a meditative phrase or an unceasing prayer, if you will, a prayer of diligent discipleship. We know what God says. He is a rewarder of them that what diligently seek him and the knowledge he gives and the commissioning he gives, the mantle he lays upon, the anointing he fills one's life with comes from us living unhypocritically by this phrase, hallowed be thy name. We want God to continuously keep us in check according to his holy will. So this is why we would say this throughout the day, hallowed be thy name. It would keep us out of so many troubles, so many problems, my God, false ways of thinking. We don't want to walk in a way that is unseemly. We want to walk in the sure, consecrated, approved way that God has given for us to walk in. You know, loving Jesus means observing and also complying with his directions for living every day. Uh, an overall biblically, uh, biblically based standard of living is what the power of the Holy Spirit will help us to accomplish. As Christians, we bear the name of Christ as our unifying point of identity. What we stand for, in other words, our modus operandi, must represent what he stands for. His directions must be kept in the forefront of our mind as an ever-present help that lights our path in the journey of faith. What we think matters, what we say matters, what we do matters in the process of living out the revealed will of God. And uh, as our behavior truly represents that holy will, it is actively consecrating or exemplifying what God meant for us to do in everyday practice in our everyday lives. And uh, when that happens, we will actually uh, be keeping his name hallowed. Let's have a nice flashback now, prophetic flashback from the ministry of Ezekiel, going back to Ezekiel 36, 22 through 27. What's happening here is Israel's um, continued cycle of being lost and found is uh, readily happening in this scripture. It says here in verse 22, starting out, therefore give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. See, if they had been scattered about due to their mishaps of walking in the uh, true faith of God. He, and God is saying through the prophet, I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame upon while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is. The name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the, the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. 
For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. In other words, a heart of flesh, one that can be molded on the ceramic wheel of the potter by God. And God is the potter, right? That's what Jeremiah called him. And here in Ezekiel verse 27, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Does God have decrees? Yes. Does he have regulations? Yes. Did they go from the Old into the New Testament? Yes, because Jesus added some thousand more. People think, oh, Jesus is just freely giving us all this unhinged freedom, throwing caution to the wind, just allowing us to be who we are in and of ourselves. But that is not so. Um, the Old Testament, they were found doing certain things. Jesus said, if you even think on them, you are lost by God. God wants our thinking cleaned up. Mm -hmm. As a man thinketh, so is he. Mm -hmm. Now with regard to daily worship, are modern people of God obeying his regulations? You know, contemporary Christian music has been negatively affected by the priority to entertain the general mindset of pop culture that does not diligently seek God. We know because of the fruit they bear. It is not in line with the word of God. Emotional catharsis based on cultural relevance has apparently become the order of the day. People come for an emotional cathartic moment and they want us to help them relax much like they get in yoga or ringing the bell of Buddha, my God. But biblical integrity and godly convictions, even though they are to be honored, have been compromised by the broad way of pop culture. Whatever most people want, meaning wherever the money of the masses takes us is where we will be going. Carnality-based marketing uh, will only open the floodgate for more carnality and lukewarm appeasement. That's all it will do. There are so many postmodern leaders today, and I've been looking at them in the media. So many of them claim to be unlearned novices. They say uh, things like, uh, for the first time an Easter season comes around, I've never preached an Easter sermon. And I've, I've seen them when I was young, uh, but I want to take us into a new way. And then they take them into some carnal, dramatic, staged way that is not promoting the holiness of God. I've seen their shows, I mean their worship services. And uh, what, what I saw was just utter carnality. It is carnality-based marketing. It's now an open floodgate, 
and now more and more lukewarm sensibilities now are taking precedence. Um, and, and it's all about what people want, and we don't want to uh, upset anyone. We want them to be happy with what they have experienced. And there are, there are so many leaders now who are at that posture as an apologetic disclaimer that guards them from the so-called legalistic judgment extremists. And that's how they look at people who are going to say anything about them. They cannot be judged. Secularized religious music, with all of its glamour, has forsaken the need to be regenerate, to have the seekers of God to be regenerated. They're not seeking for folks to be regenerated. So the glamour of the music has forsaken that need for people to be regenerate seekers of God and his required spiritual maturity and standard of holiness is well overlooked. Does God expect for us to come to his house to watch others call his name or attempt to call his name uh, for them? And so many aren't really calling God's name anymore. Uh, they're using, you know, a lot of pronouns and such. And sometimes not even pronouns. It's all about whatever the culture is saying is the right thing to say. Being, you know, politically correct seemingly is more the order of the day now. The production of modern music and um, the, the directors, the bands, the worship teams all seem to be teaching congregates to come and let them do the worshiping for them. They just sit and be entertained by all the drama they can behold in the front. But what kind of worship are these new leaders promoting? You know, today's culture wants effortless processes that bring heightened euphoria, little to no work that brings an overwhelming warmth of soulish comfort. Today's worship experiences seem to be promoting the entertainment and spiritual consumption of what we will call prophetically unholy grapes, which are flesh-centered, repetitious mantras as opposed to biblically sound declarations like those found in the old hymns and in the book of the Psalms, my God. Grapes are among the strongest Christian symbols as they represent the blood of Jesus. And moreover, vineyards come to represent the mission field. In that sense, grapes come to also represent good works. Good works of holy faith. Wild vines uh, reflect the words of Jesus, which uh, where he said, um, I am the vine and ye are what the branches in John 15, 5. Uh, but so many are off that vine and now they have created their own vine, their own words, not subject to Jesus's words. They're changing Jesus's words by taking away some of his words, adding to his words, which make those words none of his and they are of none effect. God's Spirit inspired Isaiah to sing a prophetic song. Let's go into it. It's in Isaiah 5. In Isaiah 5, the prophet sang a song called the Song of the Vineyard. 
He sung it to the Lord. And why did Isaiah uh, have to start singing as opposed to just preaching without any musical kind of directive? Um, it's because the people started uh, disregarding his words. They were uh, become as elevator music, something in the background, but nothing to really take note of. The, uh, the words weren't uh, noteworthy anymore, and people were all about whatever else they wanted to do and hear and say and experience other than the will and word of God. And um, it became to be line upon line, you know, uh, that scripture where people like to say, you know, they're really preaching when they have that. But the people were picking on Isaiah, mimicking him, and disregarding and disrespecting the word of God in his ministry. God put it to music, much to the folk music that was prevalent all around their uh, villages and towns. God used the music to help bring his message through Isaiah. Isn't that something? And in this vineyard, the song of the vineyard, uh, to the Lord, where he says, my beloved, that's God. And um, so perhaps, uh, as, we, as I just said, Isaiah resorted to singing this type of folk song because the people had ignored his customary sermons. The lyrics begin this way. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? That's in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 4. I read from the English Standard Version. Now, this song continues on. It reveals that the farmer is the Lord. And in the New Testament, God is uh, referred to as the husband man, which means farmer. And uh, he, he is tending his garden, which should be the souls in his pasture. Here in the Old Testament, yes, this farmer is the Lord. And the vineyard represents God's people in Judah, the Lord, the keeper, you know, of the field, expects his vineyard to yield what good grapes, representing justice and righteousness, because he had deeply and painstakingly cared for it, showering his people with goodness, love, and grace. But instead, the vineyard produced only wild grapes. Wild grapes are sour, inedible, and entirely useless for making wine. 
The original Hebrew word um, translated as wild here in this verse is associated with stinking or worthless things that are only fit for destruction. It's like salt that has lost its savor. It's only good to be stepped upon and placed on a dunghill. That's what the New Testament said. Rather than producing uh, justice, getting along with each other, right? And righteousness, living righteousness among each other and towards God. The people of Israel responded with violence and bloodshed in Isaiah 5, 7. They broke God's laws and defiled the land given to them by the Lord. Yahweh had established Israel as a model among nations. He desired his people to produce fruit for his glory in John 15, 8. But they yielded only sin, characterized as what? Wild grapes in Isaiah's song. The keeper's only recourse, the keeper is God, don't forget. The keeper's only recourse was to bring judgment on the fruitless vineyard by destroying it. Isaiah 5, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah outlines six woes, naming the six sins that have provoked God's anger and brought his judgment upon the land. These six sins form a summary, not an inventory, of the wild grapes of Isaiah's song. They are predominantly the sins of the proud and arrogant, which are these. Greed, covetousness, and extortion. Imagine the people of God extorting one another. We see that during the offering time sometimes. Isaiah 5, 8 through 10. Also drunkenness, uh, revelry. Revelry is debauchery. The Bible speaks against, yes, in the New Testament, against drinking because it is debauchery. Uh, they had wild drinking parties. And some that weren't so wild, but they were yet drinking. Uh, and they were inebriated. And uh, fleshly self-indulgence. We see that in all these music videos today. Scantily clad folk. My God, and it's warmer now, and folks are going to be scantily clad. They're going to be self-indulgent. They said, if I look good, I'm going to flaunt it, you know? Verses 11 through 17. There was carelessness, there was hard-heartedness and mockery in verses 18 and 19. There was deception and perversion in verse 20. There was pride and conceit in verse 21. There was injustice and corruption in verses 22 through 25. This ancient malady has seemingly uh, become a repackaged pandemic of problematic worship experiences. What they did back then, they're now doing it now. It's just repackaged. It's, yes, seemingly become a repackaged pandemic of problematic worship experiences. They don't look to be problematic because people are defining them as a good thing. Souls are coming to be blessed uh, in these so-called churches of the Lord to have their spiritual appetites for righteousness filled, but they're only being spoiled. 
Appetites are being conditioned for the taste of spiritual junk food and emotional frenzied sugar rushes that leave souls thirsty for more of such flavorful but toxic communion elements. When we worship, it is as though we are partaking in communion elements. God is there. And Jesus rose again. He suffered, bled, and died. Our sin uh, price was paid by his blood. Amen? So if it hadn't been for the blood of Jesus and him rising again in power, we would not have a need to be here worshiping Jesus until he comes back. And then we're going to worship him forever. He's going to take us out of this pit hole of sin called the earth. Amen. And he's going to save us from the presence of sin. And there we will be with him forevermore. Thank God. But right now we have to go through this dungeon of folks being deceived. Without the uh, unadulterated truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are just going to be manipulated by seducing spirits that have an ultimate goal of deceiving the masses to accept masked anti-Christian ideals that lead to the blatant worship of Satan. My God, we're almost done. True worship causes true deliverance. Don't forget the two things that we're mainly dealing with, consecration and deliverance. That whole bit I just talked about was the consecration part. If we could get consecrated, keep our mind on that, God will deliver us. You know, sometimes the devil does not want to come out because people have begun to adore the stronghold that he has developed in them because he goes very slowly with it. It is as that science experiment where we boil, boil a frog. Amen. That sounds cringy to a lot of you, I know. But you put the temperature very, very low, and the frog cannot sense the changes. And before long, there is the beginning level of a boiling temperature, but the frog is still there, and so it's a good thing. The devil works on us just like that. We become used to it, tolerating that which is going to harm us throughout all eternity. But true worship can cause true deliverance if we let go of those strongholds and now begin to grip on the mighty hand of Jesus who pulls us up out of the muck and mire, pulls us on a solid ground and stations us there, beautifies our feet with the gospel of the preparation of peace. He works from the ground up, and now he's going to station our legs to be strong, amen, as that of the hind legs of that mountain goat climbing up the mountain. God wants us to go up the holy hill, amen, and have our hands cleansed, heart purified, mind delivered. We can get to live it if we put our all in all on Jesus when we worship. We don't worship just in the event, but with our lives. Amen. So when someone uses the word Christian as a name to describe their religious affiliation, they must realize how that name actually infers the responsibility to actually bear the hallowed character of Jesus Christ. How do you represent him? Is his character being exemplified with the divine honor due his name? There is a direct correlation between the quality of one's confession, which is your statement, and profession, which is your practice of faith. 
So what you confess in faith may not be what you profess in faith. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We lie and do not the truth according to 1 John 1, 6. So what we say and what we actually do with regard to our faith in God may not necessarily be congruent. If not, then our worship is not completely true. Didn't the Bible teach about having a little leaven, which leaven is what? The whole lump. Whatever's in us that's unseemly, no matter if it's a minute little detail, God is concerned about every jot and tittle the way Isaiah preached, line upon line, amen. But the people started disrespecting it. They heard it over and over and over. They didn't change from it, but they had to keep hearing it because the man of God was obedient to the Spirit of God to keep saying it. And it became now an indictment against them because they heard it over and over and over and God put it on the videotape in heaven and all of their scoffing, you know, backbiting, backstabbing, uh, neglect of God's word, disrespect of God's word, it was all there recorded. And now the righteous judge has all the evidence there to put against them. They began to be scattered and the enemy that they were supposed to be over now overtook them. And then they cried out to the Lord. Isn't it like us because we are soulish realm folk that whatever happiness has been lost, we want the happiness back. But we don't want the joy unspeakable full of glory. We want happenstance. We want circumstances to change and that'll make us happy. But when you have Jesus on the inside, no matter the circumstances around you, you can still have joy on the inside that flows out to the outside and God will keep you from falling. Keep your attitude in check because you have placed your affections on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. Thank God. So what we say and what we do with regard to our life should be based on our faith in God. And it needs to be congruent with his word. If not, our worship, what is not completely true? And if it is not true, then neither is our fellowship with God. And that's a scary thing. Folks want to have fellowship with God. But if their faith is not the faith that God is promoting, they do not have a right relationship. They are not in fellowship with God. They are out of fellowship with God. In a right relationship with God, the power of true, diligent worship will enable us to break away from the overwhelming, seemingly irresistible powers of various sinful habits that are being um, placed in our mind by suggestions from um, the enemy. He creeps about and he speaks all of these things into our spirit, amen. And uh, he makes the temptations so so irresistible. And we get into trouble as we engulf these things. And so that is what is going to keep our life healthy. 
but they are an unhealthy uh, feeding. God is always, uh, by his spirit, warning us against these things. And if we don't listen to God and we turn a deaf ear, we have become a stiff-necked folk. But if we keep on acting as if we still have the same testimony of being one who walks with God, we are now hypocritical. And now we are bearing the fruit of the sour grapes, the wild grapes, my God, the weedy grapes. They grow everywhere. They are not wanted to grow. They are intrusive like a weed is. We have a nice, tight, good garden, and all of a sudden, weeds are there. And if you don't tend the garden, what will happen? The weeds will take over. We need folk who are going to be holy watched men and women on the wall who are going to stand in the gap of righteousness and be the doorkeepers of righteousness and not allow to have these seducing spirits creeping in. They used to creep in unawares, but now they are given a red carpet, a welcome mat, to come right on in, and they have choice seats, and they are in the pulpit, they are in the choir, they are everywhere. My God, there's wild sour grapes all in God's holy vineyard, and we have made the holy vineyard unholy. My God, but we are yet saying we have a right relationship with God. The wild grapes are hypocritical religious practices. We got to get rid of our hypocritical religious practices because we are now fashioning ourselves just as the old prophecy. We are we are become wild grapes. And the devil did it. He countersows. When God is sowing, he's busy countersowing. The countersowing power of the devil's doctrines work like fiery darts, and they will penetrate the hearts of those who do not have the shield of faith. If you have the omnipotent presence of Jesus, amen, and you're always rightfully honoring him, that is going to serve as your shield of faith which can withstand the fiery darts of the devil. God has to have an ever-present, helping kind of presence in your life. You should be so devoted to him, and he should be so endearing to you that there is no space in between. There is no crack in your character. There is no breach in your temple, your body. The Holy Ghost fills it, covers it. Amen. The mantle over you is the power of God hovering and covering you. Amen. And he fills you up and satisfies you. Amen. He should be that ever-present help, that shield of faith, which quenches those fiery darts from hell. Every thought that comes from hell is a fiery dart. My God. That is the unearned, awarded privilege given to diligent disciples. That shield of faith. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But it's awarded to us because of God's grace. Amen. It's mercy. He forgives. That's a uh, financial term. Forgive is when you don't have a debt anymore. The debt was paid. Amen. Uh, the cost was Jesus' life. And, but you know what? Sin can take a life, but it can't take God's life. Why? Amen. We don't know the beginning of God. God always was, and he's not going to die. Amen. That's something he can't do. He can't die. Amen. And sin can't kill God. Mm -hmm. The body of Jesus was taken for a minute, a moment. Amen. Seeming like a twinkling of an eye to God. 
And uh, to us, three days and three nights in uh, what seemed to be the bottomless pit, but God rose up in glory and in power. Thank God, and he defeated death and hell. He defeated sin. He paid the price mm -hmm. for us. And if we walk in him, we can be saved. Now, as revealed by Matthew 6, 9, consecration and deliverance are two main benefits that can be experienced every day. We should be revived, what? Every single day. There had to be reformation all throughout the word of God. Those were not revival meetings per se, but reformation, the whole town got saved. They heard the word of God and got saved. My God, isn't that great? But now we have to have a revival every other month. Why? Because every time we come to church, we're at ground zero. Mm -hmm. And the praise leaders who are saved, who are moving by the flow of the Holy Ghost and the mentality of heaven and the harmonies of heaven are flowing in their heart and mind and through their musicality, out it comes. And we are walking in faith and in harmony with heaven when we are led in song like that by those kind of praise leaders. But amen, be it far from us. Oh, my, we don't want to uh, put any work in. Oh, you know what? Uh, we want that effortless kind of worship. Uh, we just come and be mesmerized and entertain, and the crowd will be swayed, and uh, the heart strings plucked. And we can have the experience just like we had in a club, except it has some kind of religiosity about it. But you know what? Uh, one of my first pastors way back when, when I was a little boy in Florida, he said, the world is becoming churchy, and the church is becoming worldly. And he is so right. And now it's all the way out. It is as if Baal and Asherah are now mounting the very pulpit that only holy people should be mounting. Amen? Amen. My God, my God. But God wants consecration, yes. And when we have it done correctly, we will be delivered from the hand of the enemy. So many of us don't want to let go. And then we have to be talked out of it when, when the devil is kicked out. Amen. And uh, there's an exorcism that has to happen because now we have to go to battle and the spiritual warfare of those who are spiritually inclined and enabled by God to perform such ministry can do it. But how many do we see doing that today? No, people are falling prey and falling right on in line with the broad way. And we're appeasing what pop culture says is politically correct. Instead of uh, preaching and singing what the truth of God's word is all about. We are far removed from having a right relationship with God when we are doing such things. But, you know, God wants consecration and deliverance to happen, and we can have them every day if we remain, what, submitted unto God. It is by these nuances of worship, consecration and deliverance, that we are better enabled to keep his name hallowed. Without them, the daily pressures of temptation in and around us would easily take the best of us. Through Christ, there is victory to be experienced, which should be our ongoing testimony of faithfulness unto God and our rightful station in this life as we continue in our endeavor to be true 
worshipers. Father God, we thank you for your spirit who reveals the truth of the holy word of God. And I say holy word of God because it is the word of God being referred to that is unadulterated. Nothing was changed or added. We thank you, Lord. That is the word we want. The good, the bad, the ugly, all the history of us on this earth, of what happened to us, the effects of sin, all recorded in the Bible. And God says to eschew evil and to cleave to that which is good. Know the good from the bad. God will illuminate our minds with the light from heaven. His name is Jesus, the bright and morning star. We thank you, Lord. And heaven is lit up by his presence. They, we don't need P-S-E-G. We don't need Con Ed. My God. Oh, we don't need all the new stuff they got. Geothermal, all the stuff they got. God is going to be the light, the warmth, everything we need is in him. His will should be done on earth as it is in heaven. But first we want his name to be hallowed. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your name be hallowed in our lives, Father God. Hallowed be thy name. When temptation is right there in front of us, confronting us to go uh, hither's way in out of darkness, which is promoted as something good. May we, oh God, yet be meditating by the power of God on this word. Hallowed be thy name. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Bless us, oh God, as you continue to guide us and teach us in this curricular prophetic journey of growing spiritually in maturity with God and before one another. Help us to build each other up in the most holy faith. Bring faith in this house. Help folks to, amen, respect the word of God, to read it, to meditate upon meditate Meditate upon it daily and help us to pray without ceasing. We know you're able, God. Uh, let us not be overcome by fear, but let us, oh God, call upon the elders of the church that they may lay hands, oh God, and with the holy oil, there will be healing in the house as only you can have it. We thank you, Lord. Ah, Yehovah Rapha, my healer. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You're my righteousness. Hallowed be thy name. Deliver your people. Save your people. Heal, oh God. Deliver and set free as only you can. We thank you, oh God, the master's name of Jesus we praise. Hallelujah. And consider it done. Thank God. Amen. Amen. of the realm of Agape Christian Church pray that the Holy Word of God has richly blessed your soul to send prayer requests use the contacts page of our website www.roagape.org we need your continued prayers and financial support to maintain this ministry You can also find a secure means of donating on our website. God bless you.